Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Len Green, the founder and chair of The Green Group, who is also a serial entrepreneur and a nationally recognized tax expert and family business consultant. And Bud Devella, a business executive and a lawyer who now runs his own advisory practice that counsels owner-managed and family-held businesses. But I'm going to start with you. Tell us what you do now. What I do now uh, principally is consult to family businesses. I, I, I was a, an attorney. I did run a business. Uh, now I don't practice law. I just consult uh, to families that need my help because so often the business is okay, but the family is not. And I can help them to get along and I can help them to produce better uh, for the business. And and I'm also executive trustee and things like that for, for various uh, clients. Great, thanks. Okay, and Len? I'm retired. I only work eight days a week now. <laughs> I have the, the, the best job in the world, I think. Uh, I'm a consultant, okay? I'm an owner of about 32 different companies. Uh, I teach up at Babson College. And I run a very successful horse operation. So again, I keep myself busy. But the, the biggest challenges that I find and the most exciting is dealing with family businesses because I came from a family business and I tried to have a successful okay, succession with my three children. And none of the three of them want to work with me. So, <laughs> so, so if this is over. So after this is over, I'm going to hire Bud, okay, so that we could kind of figure out, you know, why they think it's so difficult working for me. <laughs> and then both of my children wanted to work with me, and having seen family business, I said no. You were smart. <laughs> you, you were smart. You were Got smart. it. But, though, the, the interesting thing was, although I have 32 companies, Okay, none of them wanted to work in any of those until I got into the horse business. And, th and then my son said, I'll be happy to take over the horse business under one condition. And I said, what's that? He says, you, you, you're not going to be the advisor to, to the horse operation. Well, you know, let's get into that, uh, Len. You have your, your journey has been so uh, amazing and extraordinary. So tell us about, you know, what you've done all these years from, from college until now? I, I flunked out of four universities, okay, and, and then got a job in, in accounting, okay, and got fired from my first five accounting jobs until I realized I was dyslexic and I had no number retention, so what the heck was I doing in accounting kind of thing? So, but then gradually I got, I got called into the Air Force and bought a book called J.K. Lasser, Everything You Have to Know About Taxes. It's about a 400-pager. Yeah. And, and I memorized it, okay? I had nothing else to do in, 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 in the military. So I memorized it and became the accountant for the base. Okay? I came out under the GI Bill, okay? And I said, gee, I'll go to school at night because the, the, the government's going to pay for it. So, so I went to NYU at night. And the first day, the professor says, in the master's program, said, is this deductible? And I raised my hand. He said, yes. So said, yes, seat number 132. What do you think? I said, it's definitely deductible. And what's your source? I said, I read it in the J.K. Lasser book. And everybody laughed because they were CPAs and lawyers, et cetera, kind of thing. I had never taken a tax course, Jim. So I didn't know that there was a, there's a code and regulations. Yeah, the whole thing. So he goes like this. He says, come down. Here's a dime. He says, call somebody. He says, you can't be in a master's program if you've never taken an undergraduate class in taxation. So I went home and my wife's brilliant. And she said to me, what happened? I said, I, I failed. Okay, I I'm over my head. She says, oh, you can't hack it. What do you mean I can't hack it? I can do anything I want to do. So I went back and told him that I'm going to stay in the class and I'm going to get an A. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you have that kind of drive, I'm doing a book on capital gains. If you want to research 200 cases, okay, and summarize them, I'll not only give you recognition in my book, but I'll recommend you 
to any five firms that you want to. So I did. He liked it. I bought his book the first day it was out, and it says, congratulations, I want to thank seat number 132. <laughs> but he did write a letter of recommendation, and I did get a job with Deloitte. Okay, and that was the start of, of, of my tax career. Okay, and then, but I was so fascinated by, by entrepreneurship, people starting businesses, that each time I went to a company to do the tax return, I'd ask for five or 10 minutes with the executive and say, how did you start this thing? Why did you start it? What were you looking for? And those stories fascinated me. So I said, after, uh, real fast, okay, they promised me that if I did certain things, I'd be a partner in New York. So I did all those things they told me to. And then they said, as I was getting ready to be a partner, to, to, to take, take a trip up to Buffalo. I said, why would I want to take a trip up to Buffalo? Because that's where you're going to be a partner. I said, no, New York. No, we, we said New York. We didn't say New York City. So I quit and I started my own firm. Okay. And and the rest is history. I mean, we, we, we've done extremely well. But each time there was an opportunity to invest with some of my clients, I invested in them. And thank goodness a couple of them were so being a couple of them were buffalo dog food, cat food, and et cetera, and then nets. And, you know, so it's, it's been fascinating, and I'm still fascinated. Great. I, had, I, think, I think I had the, uh, you know, it's interesting. I also went to NYU for, for a master's. Right. Uh, it was drudgery. It was absolute drudgery. You're going to class 6 to 10. But, yes. But I, but I found 6 to 10 at night. But I found that uh, what I learned about people in the practice is what has kept me successful. And, and the books just don't have any of it. Uh, I was talking to a, a colleague uh, just, just this weekend about family business. And I said, you can't learn it in books. You either, either understand people or care enough to understand people, or you're not going to be helpful to them. Uh, as I used to tell my associates at the law firm, this is a smart person. He's built a huge business. He employs 400 people. He doesn't come to us because he wants to. He comes to us because he has to. So you better make sure that you know what you're doing when you're telling him something. But I have found that in the family area, <clears throat> whether, it's, whether it's a hot dog stand or the New York football giants, the issues are the same. And if you understand families and people and the interaction, you can help. You can could because because one of the biggest problems they have is too much family, not enough business. Uh, you go to a board meeting, and I would interview when I I'm new to a situation. I'd interview the outside members. I say, what goes on at these board meetings? He says, all we talk about is the family. I said, that's got to change. You've got to make sure the business is focused on by people, not the family. I mean, we could, you know, the, the problems in families of communication uh, are legion, but they're also, they're legion in regular businesses too. So you have to get into it. You have to understand it. You have to make it important. And you have to make people understand just because your name is on the door doesn't mean you should be running this country, company. That is a, a hard lesson for people because all the time they've grown up, they've figured they're going to be in charge. And, and I was talking to one the other day and I said, if you, if you do this too soon, you'll regret it. You've got to learn what you're doing. You've got to make sure you know what you're doing. Then you can take the chance of doing it. And let's because circle back to that, but in a second, we'll circle back to communication because it's so important, communication and values. But let's talk about your career first. I know you mentioned NYU. And then what happened next? Because I know you win some turns here and there. Well, I had, I had, uh, I was at University of Pennsylvania's law school after Princeton and and Vietnam, uh, and I went to a, a, a great firm, Hannock Weisman, which which became the second largest in New Jersey. I was the managing partner. I built it from thirty lawyers to one hundred and sixty. Uh, the the quality, as Len will tell you, the quality of practice was outstanding. The tax practice, which is what I gravitated to, 
dealt with family businesses, dealt with closely held corporations, did that for 25 years. And then a client of mine who'd been my client for 25 years hadn't listened to my advice about how he needed to build a team and run the business that I'd given him 10 years prior. And one day he said to me, I want you to come. I want you to be president of the company. I want you to do all the things you told me because I can't. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I was floored. I was 54 and I wasn't, I wasn't looking for anything, but this was a great opportunity. I'd really done as much as I wanted as a lawyer. And I went. And so for 13 years, it was a bit, it was a wonderful business, 400 employees. I used to call my clients and say, why didn't you tell me this was so much fun? You'd come in my <laughs> office with the hangdog expression. It's fun when you can do things. And the difference, and Len, you'll appreciate this, the difference between running a business and running a law firm. In a business, everybody wants to make the leader happy. In a law firm, they want to fight you. So, so this, was, this was fun. So I did that for 14 years. Uh, I was going to do it to age 70, but my wife didn't want me to work till age 70. So guess what? I didn't. And I left. And I and since 2011, all I've done is consult the family businesses. I don't practice. Uh, and it's a it's it's fine. The lawyers can do the law, the legal. I can help the family get along. Got it. OK, that, that that's good to know. Jim, the. the, the... I think this is important. Okay, the first time I went to do a consulting job for a family business, and I had all the balance sheets and the profit and loss statements, and you know I had the objectives of of what the the owner wanted to to do, kind of thing. And we started discussing it, and suddenly the 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 two young ladies and the son start fighting. Okay, and I said, "Hey, time out! What's going on?" He knocked down my sandbox when I was five years. And I looked at it like I thought they were joking, but they carried that on. That's right. So you did, that, that's what you don't know about the family business. It's not one and one is two. It's it's just you got to know the people and you, okay, before you can make suggestions. 100%. 100%. Um, and, and Len, uh, we should talk, you should at least mention, you mentioned before, it's not just real estate, it's not just horses, but it's so many other businesses that you run and have you created. Just just spend the, a minute on that, just so people get a sense for what you've uh, overseen. Okay, again, I realize that a lot of people say you have to specialize. And, and I'm really a believer that things are widgets, okay? They're interchangeable. That once you learn how to do certain things, and you see what the landmine potentially is, not wait until the land you step in it, but potentially what could happen. Because then I, when I start these businesses, and we have 32 of them, okay, I surround myself with an advisory board. And it's not necessarily an advisory board of people who are, know those industries. It's people who've had experience. So that you, and networking, those are the most important things for it. But then you make these companies successful but is that success? I don't think it is. I think success is, can you pass it on? Whether you pass it on to your family or whether you pass it on to your employees. Okay. If you can successfully do that, then I think you've really accomplished something. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, we could spend the whole <laughs> two hours on those businesses alone, but we won't. We're going to get to family dynamics, family business dynamics. I know, uh, Bud, you mentioned communication. So let's start with that. You know, again, a lot of us have watched Succession. We've seen uh, these family members and the business and the patriarch and and and, and all the interesting dysfunction uh, that goes on. Talk to us about communication, uh, Bud. I think I think both Succession and Yellowstone are excellent uh, trots for how and what should happen. <clears throat> you know. Uh, the beauty of being a Len or a Bud in this case is you come into a situation, you look at the family. Uh, in my case, I just do one-on-one -on -one interviews with everybody so I can learn. And I can see the problem. They're not, it's not rocket science. Uh, and usually the problem is communication because 
the child is thinking of the sandbox while the dad may be thinking of the business. And they are worlds apart. The child can't understand why the dad treats him or her differently in the business than they did in the family. They cannot separate the two. You come in, you talk to dad, you talk to the, I have, and I'm sure Len has situations where these people are, are livid at each other. They, they, but they can't talk. They can't tell each other what the problem is. I'll have at the end of a meeting, a son will look at me and say, he was a great dad until I came into the business. And that tells me, that tells me what the problem is. And what I have to do is say, look, family is family, business is business. I, I know enough about where each is coming from that I can talk to the other and get them to settle down and get them to understand what goes on. But, but I think my bottom line is the problem is the family relationship which gloms onto the business and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, the dad is focused on this building, he, this business he may have built from nothing. And the child says, how come you didn't come to my baseball game? And it's like there are ships passing in the night and, and often you can fix it. It doesn't, when I say fix, I mean, you can make it palatable. You can make the business work. You can make them understand they need to keep the sandbox off the table and focus on the numbers. You can do that if you have a lot of patience and a lot of experience. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to you. Got it. Len? I would, I would add just a couple of things. I think Bud's hit everything. The other two things I would add is I actually sit down on the one-on-ones and ask what the goals and objectives of each person is. But even before I do that, but and, and, I'm, and maybe you could you could circle back for a moment. Okay, I, I got two things and then just circle back. Sure. From, I think trying to get their trust is, is, is the most difficult thing that I have when I come into these things because they're, they're thinking, oh, dad hired you or, you know, and trying to get that trust factor. And then number two, I try to talk to their spouses also, because even though they're in it, I want to know what the spouses think. But but how do you get around the fact that, that you're perceived by some as the hired hand? Well, I'll tell you, I, you're, you're right on, Len, because neutrality is the most important feature you bring to the table. I get a call from a non-family officer, we need your help. I said, if you need my help, I need to be interviewed by all the parties before, before they hire me. If the decision is not one or two, it's all of them. Uh, we do a Zoom with the senior. He says, I want you to be hired. I say to the, to the non-family person, I said, now write an email to the son. Say, I do not, where Bud Devella does not work with a family unless they all hire him. So you have to interview him. And if you like him, we'll hire him. If you don't, we won't. That occurs. Mm -hmm. And immediate now, and Len, you know, and I know that we have a certain quality of, of engendering trust. So once I'm sitting with this person who knows I'm only there because he wanted me, I make sure he trusts me. I make sure we get to the bottom of his problem. And then I don't flat. I, what I do is I write a document that I present to everyone at the same time. So they know that what my this is my proposal. This is not coming. It hasn't been edited or anything like that. I have one great situation where I'm sitting in the waiting room uh, having written my report, waiting to meet with the father and two sons. And the father uh, asked me to go to his office. So I go to his office and he says, you have to give me the report. I said, no, I can't give you the report. If I give you the report, your sons will never trust me. Well, I don't understand. I said, no, that's the way I work. It's the only way I work. We go to the meeting. It's like he was my, he was my marketing uh, person. 
we go to the meeting, he announces to his sons, he wouldn't give me the report. I'm not going to promise to do anything he says. Well, then everybody reads the report. And part of the report was, Dad, the boys are doing fine. You want to play golf. You should go to Florida because they're fighting because of you. So he reads that part of the report and he says, so it's my fault. And he starts to laugh and he says, and I can go play golf. And that's it. But the neutrality, bottom line, the neutrality is without it, you're no place. You're, you cannot be seen as, as representing one side or the other. Yeah, but, but but then how do you how do you bridge the gap of, of you and I learn how to succeed by outworking everybody else and then next generations coming in they're saying, hey, we need a work life balance or something. Or here or here's one. Okay. The the most successful upper horse farm operation buying and selling horses and boarding horses is down in Kentucky. And the guy who started it wrote a book on everything he did. And in the book, he talks about the fact that he had five sons, okay, and and he treated them as like as he treated any other employee, but a little bit worse because he didn't pay them, okay, uh, until they reached a certain stage in, in life, et cetera. And it, so I'm now meeting with the next generation, and we're talking about, you know, what are you thinking about and, and, and doing you got to tell our parents that they got to start paying us. Okay. And then in, in, in less hours, because otherwise this thing's going to fail. There's going to be no succession because we can't do what they did. It, it, the it, 30 years ago, I wrote an article, which is on my website and I make it part of every engagement. I want them to read the article. What the article says is, pay the kids what they're worth on the market. If one does better than the other, pay him or her more. If you don't, nobody will work. Nobody will understand the, the key principle of business that you incentivize good behavior and you get better behavior. And in addition to which, if you don't pay them enough, then you sell the business, they all hate you because you stole their money, whatever. But the, the key is to, to don't treat them. I had, I had clients who would pay everybody the same. And guess what? Because they were in the family, nobody worked and it didn't work. And so I came up with this plan. I share it with everybody. Uh, the, other, the other piece of that is let them work someplace else before they work for you because they have to understand the benefit of a family business and the detriment. And also they have to learn that if it doesn't work out in the family business, they can make a living. If you don't, you're going to have problems. I have, I have cases after cases where very talented people never worked any place else and are very unhappy. Uh, both parent and child are unhappy because they, they don't appreciate what they have and they, Every time something doesn't go their way, they think their father is, you know, is being nasty. Uh, you have to work elsewhere, and you have to be treated by your accomplishments. You make contribution, you get paid. You don't make contribution, you don't get paid. I have families where you have workaholics, and I say that's fine. Pay them more, and if the brother doesn't want to work as hard, pay him less. They'll both be happier. They'll both be happier, but whatever you do, don't pay them the same because you'll create huge problems. Well, and what about but transparency in that? If you're paying one this and one that, how transparent should you be as far as communicating why you're paying one more when why you're paying one less? I ran a law firm. We never told ex associates what Y associates were making. If they wanted to share that, that was up to them. That's really ridiculous. But what we, but to your point, Jim, what we tell everybody is we are very thoughtful and we are very careful. We do an annual review and we look at your what you do and we base it on that. And if the situation is large enough, I like non-family to do the 
to do the uh, reviews because that way the the kids really have to do something. They can't just wink and you know phone it in. It, it's uh, it, in the cases where we have that, things are very smooth. Got it. Uh, Len, smooth. do you want to comment on that? But and then we'll move on to family versus business. Uh, what Bud mentioned before. A couple of things. I think again. The idea of goals and objectives is, is very, very, very important. Yeah. Jim, because if two boys are, are working and one says, hey, I really want to succeed. I really want to do this thing. And I'm going to put in all kinds of hours. And the other one says, you know, I'm not sure yet what I want to do yet. Well, then it's, it's a natural that there's going to be a differentiation. The biggest problem that I have found, but and, and uh, I, I, would, I would welcome your remarks on it, is trying to convince them, the, the, the father who started these things that their daughter can be the successor instead of their number one son. That seems to be the one that I'm encountering more and more because half my class at Babson is made up of women. Okay. So it, it used to be a much bigger problem than it is today. Um, I, 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 in my own family, I have examples that especially, in, in, I'll say, in the Italian families, the, the son is God's gift. The daughter, you're going you're gonna to learn to cook and you're going to marry somebody. And ultimately, and I've seen this time and time again, the daughter is the one who develops the skills and the abilities and the drive that the son doesn't have. And it's a much less of a problem today because of what's gone on, you know, on generally, that people understand that women are going to you know, have their place. Uh, I have not had that problem recently, Len, because... Let me, let me shift it for a second. Sure. The, 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 I'm finding that in the, in the majority of cases, the women leadership is different than a male's leadership. They seem, in, in general, to be more caring and, 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 and it's not as cutthroat. Kind of, it, do, you have, do you face that problem? You know, it's interesting. I also have problems where the women are more cutthroat, they're more <laughs> aggressive, and and it is it is it is it spreads around the company, and it's a problem. I mean, I you know I, so that, that they come in all shapes and sizes. I guess is the only thing only thing that we we can say. And that's the, the um, drive, though, and the ability to get things done, the drive, the contribution, coming up with new ideas that you reward, that builds a business. And and you you're not going to be you're not going to be criticized for that. Indeed, indeed. In the succession show, Shiv, the daughter, you know, comes into her own, uh, even though she had worked, you know, outside as a, a lobbyist consultant. So it's interesting to see those dynamics. Again, every family is it different. Is. But let's move into family versus business. But do you want to kick that off? Pictures? Can I show you my pictures? This is a good good relationship between family and business. There's some overlap, but not a lot. They used to use the uh, Johnson's floor wax as a good example of this type of thing. This is more common in the overlap between family and business. It doesn't work. It's not good and you've got to fight it. You've got to fight it. And, and I guess that the simplest example goes back to compensation. In a family, you would pay everybody the same. You would treat everybody equally. But in business, if you do that, you're asking for trouble. Nobody's going to work. So if that's, if that's a key difference, you better focus on the business-friendly issues, not on the family-friendly issues. Family should not be part of the, of the, of the picture. You should downplay it if you if you don't, you're you're asking for trouble. Len, we're going to differ on that one. And the, uh, About and again, time. I, 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 I think it, it 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 and again, I, I it 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 blends in, Jim and, and Bud, what what we're talking about. I'm differing because I was brought up differently. Okay, of it. My my big example is, is is I started working in for, for, for my dad, 
Okay, I walked in my first day, you know, in my jacket and things. He said, what are, you, what are you doing? I said, mom says I should learn the business because someday I may own it. He says, fine. Now take off your jacket and put on your dungarees and get in the factory. I said, the factory's not air conditioned, dad. He says, right. And you're going to work on the assembly line. Okay. You know, and so it, it, you get that kind of thing. A few years later, okay, when I came back again, they you let me work in the office. So the first day, uh, I'm working there and I'm, I'm 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 doing bills and things, and, and accounts receivable and and collections, and, and I noticed that we got a big check for thirty five some odd thousand dollars from A M P, which 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 is his biggest client. And I go back and I look and I said, that's strange. A week ago we got the same amount from A M P, thirty five thousand seven hundred two dollars. I said, I said, but it's okay, Dad, because they're big. Okay. Listen. And he said to me, You're sending that back and you're fired. And you're fired. Because if you don't have values, the name our name is the most important thing in the world. Okay. And I don't care about profitability. Okay. The family name is the most important thing. So again, that that's trans. And descended itself. I'm a little bit older now. Okay. But we do the same thing. Okay. We won't cheat. Okay. For a client. Okay. Because our name is the most important thing. And in the horse racing business, you know, about 75% of the people do, do different things to horses and what have you. And we won't do it. Okay. It's just very, very important. So again, how do you separate that? To me, that's the separation between a regular business and a family business sometimes it's it's the family name is so important that's you're in this section yeah. and i couldn't agree with you more those are the family issues that make a family business better that you have that kind of you hand down that kind of integrity and your name is very important so i couldn't we are agreeing okay the problem is when other family issues like the sandbox, and he got a better bicycle. When those family issues, or the fact that here's a non-family producer, here's a family producer, and the family producer expects to make a ton more money. Right. That's 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 not good. That's just not good. That's where where, where I'm saying the family issues have to take a second seat. Got it. Got it. And the other thing, Bud, that that, that I'm finding okay. is when I go to these sessions. And the, 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 the I'm, I'm, I'm going to say father in this case, okay, although there's many cases now with, 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 where's the mother, okay, the father says, I got to tell you, Len, I don't think any of them or any of the families is going to be my successor, okay? I'm bringing in a non family member, okay? But I, I don't want to hurt the feelings of my family members. How do I do it? To me, that's almost the toughest one of all. But because they're probably right, the other, the non-family person can handle it better. Well, I and, and look, both you and I have often recommended to people that they hire a non-family person. But I think the the way to make the communication easier is to have regular meetings. Uh, I call them advisory boards. It's yes. non some non non-family members, but include the family members. Because as they see in those meetings, they see what happens. They can see the, the future and they can understand uh, why this person should be the head and not, not them. And I think once again, you make sure that business comes is the overlay and not just family. And if all they're doing is talking to other family members, they're not learning the business. And, and that's one way to make it easier. Let's move on. You mentioned bringing in a non-family member to take over. That's obviously a sample a example of succession. So let's move into succession. So let's, uh, Bud or, or Len, uh, whomever wants to start, talk to us about how to plan for succession. I think if, if you don't mind, Len, because I have one that I'm working on right now. Uh, and in, in this case, the, the father and child just are not getting along. And, and yet, if you look at it from a business point of view, the father wants to be sure the child is able 
to run the business. The child needs that. And so to get to a proper succession, the child needs education. And I'm not talking about, you know, Ivy, you know, Ivy Towers. I'm talking about put him in the ring, in the business. Make sure he sees what the what the challenges are. Make sure he's prepared. A very important element, Jim, is having a non-family senior officer who can teach, who, who knows the business, who can help that happen. Because once you have the child really learning the tough parts of it, then the senior generation can get comfortable. And then you see the child take on more and more and the senior take on less and less. And it is a transition. It's, I could, you can never predict how it's going to happen, but if you give it all the elements, uh, it can work. I remember at Fairleigh Dickinson, there being a, a, a an article about we worked with these people at Fairleigh Dickinson at the Family Forum, father and son, both gentlemen, both in an excellent business. And there was a front page article because the father had set forth a plan that he tasked three of his non-family managers to teach his son how to be the president of the company. And, and one element of that, which I find practically almost always necessary. The father's not doing the teaching. Someone else is doing the teaching. The child does not have a problem falling on his face or her face in front of the non-family person as he would or she would in front of the father. That's also always a hard conversation with the father because he wants to do the teaching, but I say, you're just, you're just not going to get there. Let this happen. In that case, it was very successful. Uh, and again, it, it, it meets a lot of needs. The child needs to be able to make mistakes, needs to be able to ask stupid questions, and needs talented people to, to guide him or her. And Jim, the, the things like the FDU family form is, is so important. And not, not only... That, that they see that other companies have the same types of problems that they have, oh, yeah. but, but they're also seeing that they also have a, a peer group that they can talk to. Does your dad do this? Does it happen? The biggest problem, though, that I find is, okay, and again, I, I look in the mirror sometime, and it's the same problem that I have. Len, you have to retire, you know, one of these days. What do you mean I have to retire? I'm still very, very, I'm still doing this, that, 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 the other thing. I mean, again, without mentioning his name, okay, he built one of the biggest, you know, oil and gas and refinery companies in New Jersey. And I went to him when I was working and I said, at what point do you retire? He says, when my son is ready. I said, what do you mean? Your son's 50 years old now. Well, he's not ready yet. Kind of thing. And then that person dies. And what's he have in his will? My son does not inherit the football team because he's got to spend all his time with the business. Okay. And what does the son do? He sells all the businesses because he never got involved in any of them. So, you know, your perfect succession plan was right down the toilet. That's right. That's right. And that's again because you it, it needs outsiders to help you with it. And if people recognize that and outsiders can come in with a real ability to, to move the, the the second generation forward. Now I will also be honest with you, sometimes it isn't that they don't have the talent. They don't have the drive. They don't want to do it. Well, if they don't want to do it, they shouldn't do it. You know, and then either have non family People do it or sell. There's, you know, there's not a lot of choices there. But don't put the square peg in the round hole. It's not gonna, it's not gonna make anybody happy. And 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 Bud, has have you have you seen that getting harder and harder as you know different generations, different cultures, yes. Um, yes. different acceptance yes. uh, and Look, different motivation? You know, there were times when being in a family business meant you could eat. 
uh, and people never considered not working in the family business. Uh, I've often asked in my interviews, uh, I've often asked the senior, did you ask your child if he wants to be in the business? Because today you have to ask that question. If you're not asking that question, you're, you're missing some. But, I, but to your point, Jim, it's much different today than it was. Uh, people are going to be successful if they're, they got an education, they have a good start, they have those advantages. They're going to be successful. And, and they may have a lot less angst about it than being in the family business. Sure. Jim, the, 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 the Babson has done a lot of things over the, the years. So for 25 years, they're number one in entrepreneurship. And wow. half the people coming into Babson, okay, are from overseas. And that half, almost all of them come from big companies, family businesses from overseas. And yet when they come into my class and I say, just write down on a piece of paper, Okay, without putting your name on it, okay, is your drive to take over your family business because that's what your parents are spending all this money to send you to Babson to do. <laughs> less right. than less question. than twenty less than twenty five percent of them say yes, I want to do that. Wow, I had to say I, I read that Wall Street Journal article about the the family, and I have to say, I'd much rather have a family where the business is not everything. Uh, you know, I mean, I just had a feeling that the, these people, uh, obviously, they have a lot of a lot of advantages. They live live wonderful lives, but I don't know that they understand what being a family is. I mean, a, a small family, you know. Now, needless to say, there are pros and cons of both. I guess you know. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great discussion. I just want to uh, sort of tease out a couple of takeaways. So. What would be one tip for non-family members who are joining a family business? Have your eyes open. Um, in your interview process, make sure uh, that you let them know what you have to offer and expect to be treated fairly. Um, it's, uh, I've seen... I've seen it work very well when you when the non-family person has the talent, uh, but the family has to understand. And that's where an outside board is very helpful uh, and encourage. Uh, it doesn't have to be an expensive board, but a couple of non-family advisors on that board can help your future tremendously. Okay, Len? Yeah, my suggestion has always been when you come into a family business, what are your goals and objectives? Okay. Are you there to get a paycheck or do you have this idea that you want to build this thing? And, and, and so you got to find out right from the beginning. Is there any chance that if I do really well, okay, that, that that's the goal or is it just I'm being hired to do this, that or the other thing and to do take one step further on the advisory board the biggest problem I find with advisory boards, people say to me, I have an advisory board. Well, who's on it? My accountant, my lawyer, my banker. Well, those people are answering to the patriarch. They're not independent. I think so. Again, the idea of the advisory board is really great. So much better than a board of directors because you can fire these people. Okay. So it's very, but you can't have people who owe you something. Okay. Because then they're not giving you that, that, that direct, feedback kind of thing right and, and, and going back to the meetings i i really think it that 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 things i've been doing over the last 10 years that have proven very successful is at the end of the meeting i have each person write down something that they want to have discussed either at this meeting or the following meeting okay and then it's handed to an independent person who, who makes a list and then they rip up what, what it is so again, it's just I yeah. think you got to encourage people to, to 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 say what's on their minds because otherwise they just stew with it and say it. And that uh, comes back to communication. It really That's does. What it is, and you, what you just described is a very good way to let people see what other people are thinking. Absolutely. And, 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 and Jim, in in classes, okay, when the first day of class. I say, hey, if you're hesitant about asking a question, do this. 
say my stupid friend over here or my shy person over here has a question, but, but they don't want to do it. So it, it kind of makes it easier, but it's that same thing. It's like that Bud just said, you've got to get them to, to do it. Okay. And you got to do it in a way that's not threatening. Absolutely. Okay. One more tip. What's the most important tip for leadership to consider as a plan for succession? Bud? You keep on asking Bud first because you like <laughs> Bud better. I seed my my first to you, Len. You ask that question. <laughs> no, come on, that's a joke. I, I just wanted I to know, get back to. But I'm serious. <laughs> no, okay. uh, I'll be honest with you. Be fair in your analysis. Be fair in your vetting of the future person. Don't let the bloodline sway. Uh, all of us have been in difficult business situations. You need real strength and power. And if someone's going to hand it down, they have to be fair in the vetting. Okay. Len? An example, and, 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 and then I'll circle back to what the, 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 the point is. Okay. My son goes to his first horse sale. Okay, because he wants to learn the horse business. Okay, and I say to him, "Okay," and he calls me and says, "I saw a horse I really want. want, 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 want I really want to buy." I said, "Well, you have a trust fund that has twenty five thousand dollars in it. If you want to use it for that, go ahead." So he goes through the motion. The, the auction is there. He calls me up. He's like, "Well, I actually bought the horse." I said, "Great. It, it, it costs twenty eight thousand though." I said, well, put it back and, and, and say because you have to learn a lesson. You don't, you don't have $28,000. You only have twenty five. So he put it back in the sale. Okay? He calls me later. He says, uh, I still own the horse. I said, what do you mean you're still holding the horse? Okay, how could you put it back in the sale? Okay, because mom lent me the $3,000. Yeah. The, the point that I'm, that I'm making with, with the joke is the fact that although we're talking about the, the the father in many, many cases, you got to bring the mother into some of these conversations because, again, she's going to influence certain parts. So you think you're talking to the, the boss, but maybe in many cases yeah. you want to do that and, and, and see it. That's the only other thing that that, that was a landmine that, 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 that I used to not worry about. And, and then it's there. Good example. Got it. Okay. So you know, the last one, though, the last, last one is, is and again, I, 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 I'm not picking on Davis. Okay. But, but he's written 18 books on family business and he, he came to Fairleigh Dickinson one time and, and I raised my hand. And I said, you certainly are the expert of all experts. Okay. How many family businesses have you had? He says, none. I think you have to have been in some kind of business so that and it, we say family thinking it, it's got to be siblings or what have you. A law firm is, is, is a family. You got to know people. You got to know people. 100%. 100%. By the, way, by the way, Len, I want to compliment you. Uh, and I want to compliment myself. We are probably two of the most talkative people we've ever met. <laughs> And I think I think that Jim has gotten us to to measure and 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 be careful and, and at least that's what I think. It's been a great <laughs> it's been a great conversation, and we're just coming toward the end of it. And you know, I always like to share or have my guests share a, a poem or a saying or a quote. So, uh, Len, I'm going to start with you this time. Go ahead. <laughs> well, to, 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 to me, the, the 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 best poem in in the world is a the, the one that Robert Frost did, okay, as far as the road less traveled is concerned, because, because it emphasizes the fact that we're, we have to make decisions all the time, okay, and, and, it, it, and there's no going back sometimes. It's either one or the other, and you got to stick to what you did, okay, and, and, and you got to be willing to take calculated risks, and to me, that's 
over and over again. That's that's the poem that's on my wall. Okay. Yes, I, I, Thank you. The one that's on my wall since since high school is What is Success by Ralph Waldo Emerson. If it's not that long, I'd like to read it because, and I've learned through my life that this is the kind of thing that should keep people and make people happy. When I talk to my clients about walking in in the morning, I want them smiling. I don't want them frowning. And if you look, if you, if you, if you listen to what this says, maybe it will give you the right sense of scale and priority. To laugh often, what is success? To laugh often and much. To win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children. To earn the approbation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends. To appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to give of oneself. To leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To have played and laughed with enthusiasm and sung with exultation. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Lovely. That's great. Yeah, and the only other part of, of that that I would add is is I truly believe that success is not financial success. Ah. I really think that you have to give back and do Amen. it. And it's these kinds of sessions. I'm not buttering you up, Jim, but I think <laughs> people, okay, have this opportunity to, to get the experiences, okay, uh, and, and we've hit a lot of landmines in, in our days, okay? Amen. But, but here we are, okay? And you learn from those. The same as Bud was saying before, get into business and, and, and make some mistakes and things. I mean, my dad, bless him in heaven, okay? I said, Dad, I'm now ready to come work for you full time. He says, no, go somewhere else and make mistakes for them on, 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 on their dime and then come there. That's okay? good advice. Well, but that, that, I mean, again, my my dad was super, but in between, I got called into the military. Okay, and my wife went to work for my dad. Okay, my wife's a men's a genius, etc. Kind of. I came back. Okay, and Dad said, you know, it's time for me to retire. Okay, oh. I said, great. He said, and I'm giving the two of you the business. And I looked at it and said, Dad, there's a mistake. It said Lois gets fifty one percent. And I get 49%. He said, read the second paragraph. Every business thereafter, Lois gets 51%. You get 49%. And, and that was how my dad ensured, okay, that we would be successful. And you have been Very successful. Nice. He was, that was crushing. 32 businesses. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been great, guys. Uh, thanks, for your, thanks for sharing your wisdom and insights. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.